Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Decoding Society. This is your host, D'Angelo Starnes. Today is July 4th, 2018. And if it's July 4th, uh, well, it doesn't necessarily have to be July 4th. But if it is July 4th, you know we're going to talk about Frederick Douglass and David Walker. So it's our annual Frederick Douglass and David Walker perspective on the 4th of July show. Joining me is my co-host, or our co-host, Chris Cathcart. What's up, brother? Happy Fourth of July, brother. Stop waving that flag. Man, don't don't happy Fourth of July and shit. Ain't no happy to it. <laughs> you know, you know, I was thinking about something before we dive in. Like, uh, I think a month, of, a few shows back, we talked about what was happening in Gaza and how, um, golly, I'm having a senior moment. Um, not that I'm a senior. I have them all the time. I'm having. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but. We were talking about the, you know, that the, uh, damn, what is the name of that? When they got expelled from Palestine. Uh, and that effectively is, you know, the birth of Israel, as they say. So Israel, back in 1948, went from uh, Palestine to Israel. It became a white-dominated state by Zionists. Uh, and there's a difference between Zionism and Judaism, ladies and gentlemen, but we talk about how that day is to the 4th of July for non-white people in America, to the First Nation people and African people of descendants of slaves, I should say. You know, so, uh, you know when you mentioned that, that um, I, I, didn't Ralph Bunch draw up the charter for the U.N. to establish Israel? Wasn't that one of his legacies? Well, yeah, well. Howard University, y'all. and that yeah, and how how University has the Ralph Bunch Center for International Relations and Studies or something. So interesting. Yes, well, yeah, yeah, well. Now, what what I, I, I have to say this though, you know what? I, my personal reflection of Fourth of July as a kid, my um, I don't know how growing up in Denver, you know, which is a pretty big town. I grew up in Plainfield, New Jersey, so. What I always remember about the 4th of July was two things. One, there was a parade down Front Street, literally Front Street. That's the name of the street, Front Street, that I would die to go to and sit on mailboxes, right, and watch the parade. And then my aunt, who was like the matriarch of the family, her birthday was the 4th of July, and we'd have a big cookout. So the 4th of July was always fun for me, but never in a uh, patriotic sense, more like in a family sense. So I've always had fond memories of it, but... Not tied to, uh, you know, none of the hoopla about, you know, we go see fireworks as a kid. How did, how did you, how was your 4th of July growing up in Denver? Well, yeah, same, same vibe. Um, and, you know, we, we, the 4th was fun because, like you said, you know, if nothing else, the fireworks. I mean, me and my brothers, right. we pop fireworks from sun up to sundown. We used to shoot pop bottle rockets, see how far they could go. Tie grasshoppers to them and watch you know, the grasshoppers. <laughs> Some sadistic shit, right? <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Uh, 
Yeah, no, man, the 4th is fun, you know, and, and it was, and the fireworks display, uh, all of that. And um, I can't remember if we got into the patriotism of it. I'm sure there was some of that. But, you know, and this is not to rain on anybody's parade before we dive into it. So, like you said, the 4th in a patriotic sense, celebration, yay, America, freedom, liberty. Uh, and, and then there's a uh, – then there's – you know, how we approach it. You know, family, it's a day off. Right. If you if you, if you got a job and it's a paid day off, you deserve that because of all the unpaid free labor your your, your ancestors uh, were responsible for. Uh, it, you know, it's time to relax. That's, it's, to me, it's just a day off, you know, if you take the day off. Um, so well, like, I want to rain like, on like this. Go ahead. No, that, that's why I wanted to start the way because I think when we dive into the subject matter, it often lost that, you know, um, like I said, I have very fond memories of it, but because it was my aunt's birthday and that we always had a big cookout. So it was always a lot of fun. So every time I get to the fourth, I think about that. But when, you know, when I got older and I got hip to, you know, the David Walker's appeal and Frederick Douglass's speech in Rochester and some other enlightenment, then obviously it took on kind of a, a duality of, of feelings, you know, because I mm. still rejoice in my heart for what I did with my family. And, you know, I can't, I can't, you know, I'm not going to lie, going to the parade when I was 10 years old and then going to see fireworks, that was fun. That was fun, man. I mean, that's, you know, you get, I, I, yeah. but I'm just saying that you, you have, but that, but the point I'm making is that as, as approaching these type of topics is never an easy fit. It's always, that's one of the challenges of addressing issues that we address on this show and we address basically living in this country is that it's, it's I hate to, not to use terms black and white, but it's never that easy. You always have to mitigate and put things in the context yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. You're right. I, I like that. That's good. That's good. And, you know, and that's not to say that, uh, you know, uh, that there aren't things to celebrate in spite of. So, you know, uh, I was listening to uh, – a lecture earlier uh, by Dr. Joy DeGry Leary on post-traumatic slave disorder. And uh, she said, uh, she made a remark that stuck with me, which was that, you know, black people in America are a miracle, you know, <laughs> to, to, to come out and do what we, we have done in spite of the generational stuff, uh, trauma that we experience and carry forward. Uh, we're a miracle. So, you know, there's that to, to celebrate. There's, you know, many great contributions that African descendants of slaves have made uh, to d- this country uh, that people celebrate today. Uh, it, there are reasons to celebrate. But, like you said, it's, it's, it's complex and, and there's context. Right. So, so let's get well, into I, the know, context. I, I just think I, I think it's important. No, I think it's important we make that. I think it's important we make that point because anybody that listens and they listen enough or they read what we post on our social media, you might get the con. You may get the impression that that um, that we're one dimensional, or that this that this approach to things is one dimensional. It's multi dimensional, and um, that's what makes it, I think, very difficult at times. Is that it? it you know, it, it it can't just be. It doesn't fit neatly. You have to work at it. You know. Absolutely, yeah, constantly, yes. 
Uh, okay, man. Well, let's let's dive into it. So, uh, I, I think way we 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 do a, like a little trade off. So let's start off with, you know, a little background backdrop. Uh, in the past, we've read actually read from uh, Frederick Douglass' speech, uh, but we're gonna do a little bit different approach this year. Um, so, but let's do talk about that speech that Frederick Douglass made about the Fourth of July and. It's meaning, so uh, I'll hand it off to you. Well, I mean, you know, um, in 1852, he gave a speech in Rochester, New York, which was at that time his home. Frederick Douglass, as as our listeners know, was an escaped slave from Maryland, who I think had been living in New York about 10 years when he did that or so. I might be a little off. And it was a, a speech that actually took place on July 5th. 1852, and it that's, was in commemoration right. of the signing of the Declaration of Independence at Corinthian Hall. And I imagine that he was invited to come and, you know, um, basically laud the country for its founding and sing its praises. And what he turned it into was a biting critique and rebuke of slavery and the nation's impotence in dealing with slavery. And mm. And though though it was the thing about I remember reading it the first time at Howard University in um, my Afro Afro American Studies class, and I had not read it before I got to Howard. I'm not sure if you were hip to it in high school, but I remember reading it. And no, I, and I just remember then. I guess that was 1981 when I read it the first time, and I and I guess Reagan was president. We were doing all of the you know South apartheid was going on. I have I wasn't really active yet, but I remember just reading it, and it rung so contemporary. Uh, just mm. in terms of just because the, the theme was essentially is essentially and would remain hypocrisy. That with all your mm-hmm. and brags, how can you how can you do all these things and celebrate yourself when in the in your own face you see the suffering of, of human beings right below your nose? Now, I, I, there's a piece by I'm a, I'm, we can share this link later. There's a piece by a sister wrote on the Think website on W uh, NBC's website. So Think. Um, section, which I just got hit to, where they put um, commentary. Her name is Sarita Williams, and she wrote a really good piece. We'll share the, I'll share the link a little later. That kind of like puts into context um, his speech and what it means now. Now, there's something that was mentioned I wasn't aware of, that just two years prior to that, the Fugitive Slave Act was signed, 1850. Mm. And the Fugitive Slave Act essentially empowered slaveholder states and slave owners to go across state lines and bring slaves back into slavery if they had escaped. So you, you take the backdrop of the Fugitive Slave Act just being signed and and then be, him being invited two years later to give this speech, it you know, it, it was no accident that his oratory was not biting and on point. And it, it, there's really no way to digest it other than to read it. So I suggest it's very easy to find online. And, and get into it. And essentially, um, it, it speaks to hypocrisy. Now, there is a line in it I wanted to, that I thought was kind of interesting that I, hadn't, I wasn't that familiar with before. Um, he says, but I, I fancy I hear some, some of my audience say, is, it, it's just in this circumstance that you and your brother abolitionists fail to make a favorable impression on the public mind. Would you argue more and denounce less? Would you persuade more and rebuke less? Your cause would be much more likely to succeed. So he was essentially saying what King said with the letter from Birmingham jail. Well, mm-hmm. you want us to you want us to persuade you 
of your own humanity and common sense, you know, passively and peacefully. Mm-hmm. And he said, mm-hmm. and that that line stood out because that has been a constant theme between the drug struggles of oppressed people against the oppressor for years is that they want the oppressed to take very gentle steps and to tiptoe and to essentially convince them of the right thing as opposed to being forceful and taking direct action. And I had never really peeped that line in there before when I was reading it in preparation of the show. I was like, you know what? That That's a constant thing with not only just with our people, with any oppressed people, South Africa, mm. Central South America. I mean, what's going on at the border now? Don't do things. Don't get in people's faces in restaurants. <laughs> don't, right. don't be rude. Right. Don't upset us. Just slowly and peacefully convinces of your point. And and he said that in his whole speech was essentially, I no longer have to convince you that the slave is a man. You know that. But you still won't do the right thing. Mm. So the undergirding the under what the whole speech essentially discusses, which is extremely relevant today, is the hypocrisy of the nation state. Then and and I really think about it now because with Trumpism essentially exposes D'Angelo is the acute hypocrisy in America. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because, because he does so many things that those who support him would have taken to the streets as if they were going after Frankenstein or some other person that did it, let alone Obama. <laughs> so, that, so that degree of hypocrisy uh, that he speaks about in 1852 is extremely uh, alive and relevant walking the streets in, you know, 2018. Man. Yeah, you broke that down, brother. Without without diving into it, you you right. You know, um, just real quick on the on the again context. So, Fuser's Slave Act. It, the importance of that is that you know before if you if you if you escaped slavery to the north, then you you was you was good. You know, so that's if that law is significant. There was a big fight over that law. Um, because, you know, now slave catchers, you know, had to usually stop at the, you know, at the, at the state line, but now they could, you know, go wherever they felt that their, a quote, property was. You know, and it extends from, I forgot the article, uh, but there's an article uh, in the Constitution where the, the Constitution makes a distinction between if you, if, if you know, back in the day when you still had indentured servants, uh, um, they made a distinction between uh, one who was an indentured servant who walked off the job and escaped. Uh, all they had to do was go to jail, serve their time, and then, you know, they were basically done. But, it, it, but in, if you were a slave, you could be returned back to slavery. So they made that distinction in the Constitution, and the Fugitive Slave Act just extended that concept. Um, right. Like I said, it made it so that you could cross state lines and do it. So, okay, uh, that was and great it, and, 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 just, and, just, and just to give it broader context, I just want to make sure I had the right language. The Fugitive Slave Act was a part of the Compromise of 1850, which was a package of five yes. separate bills passed by the U.S. Congress which diffused a four-year political confrontation between free slaves, slave states and free states on the status of the territories acquired during the Mexican-American War. So the Compromise right. of 1850, a part of that compromise was to allow now slaveholders and slaveholding states to cross state lines and bring back slaves who had escaped. 
But what happened in that context, too, oftentimes they would capture people who weren't slaves at all and just take them back. That's right. That's right. That's right. No, this is good stuff, man. You know, and this is the kind of, you know, when you learn it in high school, you just take it for what it is. But when you broaden, like you said, your understanding, then it becomes like, oh, shit, you know, kind of moment. You know, so, uh, but let me, you know, I, I won't get too much. We'll do David Walker so we get to our books. So uh, uh, David Walker's appeal was actually uh, published uh, 20 years uh, before uh, Frederick Douglass gave his speech. And at the time, David Walker was a free, uh, a, quote, free black man, to whatever that means. But uh, his mother was free. His father was a slave. But he died early, and his mother became freed. And so he, uh, I think he's from South Carolina. He, uh, they had a law that said if the the mother was freed, the child was free. And so he was free, and he, he lived in Boston, and he uh, traveled the country, and he observed slavery, obviously, and um, wrote this appeal, uh, which was considered, you know, you talk about resistance. Now that's what this this. Our, uh, this pamphlet was about it was about resistance to slavery and it was considered very incendiary uh, for its time and uh, it's broken down into uh, four articles um, so uh, I'll just kind of read the titles of the articles so to save time um, so and give a little uh so the first article is called Wretchedness and Consequence of Slavery. And so basically, and, and again, over, it was the same, there was the same theme of hypocrisy. So uh, David Walker uh, used a lot of biblical language uh, to, uh, to make a case against slavery um, and to uh, talk about, again, the, the, the uh, hypocrisy of, you know, America. So to speak, and so in the first article, he talks about wretchedness and the consequence of slavery, and he talked about how the uh, the institution uh, itself diminished and demeaned black people. And the thing, what he did is he knew he knew African history, so he knew where black people came from. They weren't the 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 they weren't the demeaned and diminished people that they were being um, uh, posed as in 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 the newspapers and whatnot. So he said slavery made us wretched people. Uh, So, you know, the very fact that you do what you, the brutality of slavery, the torture, the rape, that made black people, you know, lower than where they came from. And then the second article, he talks about the wretchedness and consequence of ignorance. And he speaks in that article about how, you know, the slave was deliberately kept ignorant, miseducated, in order to uh, keep them uh, in bondage. Right. Uh, if they didn't, if they didn't know any better, they if they didn't know where they came from, then you know if they knew where they came from, they wouldn't accept their their lot in life. And then he uh, talks about uh, wretchedness and consequence of the preachers of the religion of Jesus Christ, and he talks about how uh, religion. Was used to to uh, uh, hold black people down, and and how uh, the, uh, the the slave masters utilized uh, a biblical text to justify um, uh, slavery 
and how they uh, had uh, they preached that in the movie. Uh, Nat Turner, uh, he was a preacher, and it showed some scenes where that's what he was doing, was going from plantation to plantation and preaching the, right. these words, and, and you know, then the irony of what the words were. So again, the hypocrisy. Uh, then, ah, shit, I just dropped my. Hold on. Uh, the final article was um, wretchedness. Bear with me. Our wretchedness and the consequence of the colonizing plan. So, at the time, there was a plan. <laughs> again, divide and conquer. So there was a plan uh, where. Uh, some people got together, uh, uh, I guess it was the African Colonization Society, uh, had a plan that they would take all the free black people and send them over to Africa. You know, hey, y'all free. You don't have to live here, though. You just right. go to Africa and really be free. Yeah, so, so he was like, that was bullshit. Because if you, if you move the free black people from the country, that doesn't, that doesn't end slavery. And it doesn't allow... All it does is 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 is, is maintain this 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 uh, facade that you know you're supposed to be a slave if you're black. So you know he and he makes a, a real strong argument against that. Uh, I forgot to mention in the first article he 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 goes after Thomas Jefferson, um, and 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 his famous book Notes on Virginia, um. And uh, in notes on Virginia, cited by many people as as you know a, a document that um, that speaks about you know what America was about and, and freedom and and liberty. And, and he, but but there's a part in there where Jefferson says some racist shit, and basically he says that black people are inferior, and that slavery is 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 justified. And so he goes after Jefferson in that. And if anyone has not been, uh, you'll notice, and I know you, Chris, you've been there several times in the uh, National Museum of African American History. There's an exhibit. As soon as you pass out of the, the, the slavery part where they talk about Thomas Jefferson, and, uh, and this is kind of like, you know, you know, to undermine, you know, this great uh, founding father and, and who he really was or, or complete the picture, so to speak. So, um, that's kind of in essence oh, it, David Walker's appeal. Go ahead. I'm well, sorry. No, I was going to say that well, that was written in what 1829, 18, 1830, 30. something like that, right? Well, so, well actually, so it was you, published in 1830. You're right. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So, but the, the the things that that when you read the appeal or study it, and when you read Frederick Douglass's speech, the things that stick out to me um, is just how how essentially those arguments held and still hold. You know, over a hundred years, more going almost two hundred years actually. Um, yeah. Because I, if, when, you, when you read, just going back to Frederick Douglass's speech for a second, I, I, something else that struck me that when he talks about um, trying to, why is it that he has to affirm that the, the manhood of the Negro race? And he writes, he writes something like, "Is it astonishing that while we are plowing, planting, reaping, using all kinds of mechanical tools, erecting houses, constructing bridges, building ships, working in metals of brass, iron, copper, silver, and gold?" That we're, while we are reading, writing, ciphering, acting as clerks, merchants, and secretaries, having among us lawyers, doctors, ministers, poets, authors, editors, orators, teachers, and so on and so on, 
while we're digging gold in California, capturing the whale, just the breadth of how he covered the bases, capturing the whale in the Pacific, feeding sheep and cattle on the hillside, living, moving, acting, thinking, planning, living in families with husbands, wives, and children, above all, confessing and worshiping the Christian God and looking hopefully for life and mortality beyond the grave. Are we called upon to prove that we are men? Now, that was said in 1852. He's essentially saying he's asserting our self-asserted man and womanhood as human beings. And in the 60s, you had placards that said, I am a man, mm-hmm. making the same assumption. Mm-hmm. And then you draw that line to Black Lives Matter. Which essentially yeah. is the same assumption. Yes. Right? Yes. So you, so, yeah. so from 1852, even though he, he put into words what we all knew decades before that, through to... The, the I am a man was essentially where the placards used in 68 when the brothers were protesting the, the um, sanitation workers strike where Dr. King was killed in Memphis. Those placards were used then to all uh, to Black Lives Matter. So that fight, that struggle to to reaffirm one's own humanity, our humanity as a people, man, that's been going on for, since we've been here. It's just been called different things. It's been articulated different ways. So when you read that and you read David Walker's appeal, you see that, that they're as relevant, unfortunately, now as they were back then. You know, I, I highly recommend. Um, I'm glad you pointed out that 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 straight line, and that's over 160 years. You know, uh, of since that speech, and, and I, I need to correct myself. Uh, David Walker's appeal was published. The third edition was published in 1828. He died in 1830. Uh, and many believe he was murdered, okay. which he didn't. He he expected. Uh, he was one of the most hated men in America after this appeal went out. And it's, I believe, Nat Turner got a hold of David Walker's appeal. So, you know, that third article probably rang true to him. Um, but and then that so David Walker's appeal. So it's 1828, and we're almost 200 years later talking about the same stuff. I mean that that's what comes through in all this. I mean, when we, I'm glad we do this show every year because I, I, I used to read that speech and I read it today and yesterday, but I used to read the Frederick Douglass speech after after I first read it at Howard. I try to make it a Fourth of July ritual to read it to just you know to update myself on it. But for some reason, when I was, I was reading it this most recent time, it really rang true. Because of the current times that we're in, even though I think it's always been the case, it's just so much things. So so much is so, you know, exposed now. There's, there's a lot less posturing now. Everything's like right out in front because of the current political temperature in this country. And so, reading the you know reading the appeal, reading Frederick Douglass's speech, if you've never read it before and you read it now, placed in the contemporary context, they still make sense. Which which is yes. I guess good. And a good, but bad that we still have to fight that same fight, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. And, and uh, to a point that you made earlier about uh, Donald Trump, he he's really kind of took the mask off what's been happening on a continuum. Anyway, uh, it, it, it's a lot more blatant, and and, uh, and there are several reasons for that, and we'll dive into those at various times, but. Uh, Let's uh let's dive into uh our reading list um for uh for some of these issues. And so uh, again I'm gonna toss it to you first and then we'll just go back and forth. 
Well, because I, I feel bad. I don't have as many as you probably do. I, I would suggest that anybody oh, no, read the. Oh no! Don't even worry about that. Don't worry about that. I, I no, I, I would suggest, and I, I forgot about this book that uh, the the autobiography of Frederick Douglass, a slave narrative. I remember reading that. Yeah. Um, was still relevant. I read that too at Howard. Uh, I had I hadn't even heard of it before, but I think he wrote that in 1845, um, and he discussed, you know, his life as a slave and his escape north, um, and what he went through. And I remember the takeaway for me from that book was essentially a line that I'm paraphrasing that he, he, he determined that in his mind, when he decided he was no longer a slave, it didn't matter what his physical condition was, what, what kind of how bondage he was held in, he was free. That, that, ah. And, I, and I, that, that always struck me because when we were at school, when we first started, you know, people who listen to the show, we would go back to how because that's a lot where a lot of our political thought, uh, you know, was kind of spawned. But I remember that whole concept of self-determination. You know, everybody wants to be self-determinative, so we want to – and, and – and in the, in the mindset of that, no matter what my physical condition is, that once I've decided that I am a man and I am free, and I'm not physically or mentally in bondage anymore. And that always stuck with me, so I would suggest people definitely read that. Um, book I'm still, you know, crawling through now, I'm halfway through it, is The Radical King, which is some writings of Dr. King, that writings and speeches um, of Dr. King that was edited by Cornel West, called the radical king and um oh yeah it's uh it's what's interesting about it is that you know i think most people even people who consider themselves kind of in the know they spend an inordinate amount of inordinate amount of time on the marquee king speeches the mountaintop speech i have a dream speech um uh, letter from birmingham jail but he penned a lot of work he wrote a lot of articles for newspapers and Mm -hmm. magazines from the time he was in public life and address a lot of international issues. And so it, it, it gives a lot of thought and insight in terms of where his head was at. And like I said, drawing a straight line between what, the, what we're talking about now through the civil violence and rights movement to where we are now, you can see the consistent themes. And it also shows a side of Dr. King I think most people aren't that familiar with. And, I, and, I, and I'll talk back to you, and I'll hop in a little second later. But go ahead. Oh, and we'll, we'll list some of these. Uh, I'll, I'll redo the the uh, the. Uh, announcement of the show And we'll list some of these books uh, So I got my first two would be uh, Howard Zinn A People's History of the United States 1492 to present And if you do not have A copy um, uh, That's okay uh, If you have an old copy It's been updated several times uh, Up until I believe he passed away And one of the reasons why I when I read this book, and it, and it dives into different alternative or, you know, context-filling, not alternative, but context-filling uh, stories about uh, uh, American history, the first chapter blew my mind, which was Columbus, the Indians, and Human Progress, because I, I had no idea. Uh, we knew that Columbus didn't discover America for, for years, but uh, I read this book when I was in law school. I worked at this uh, bookstore that Chris is familiar with uh, in Los Angeles, Essel Wands. Essel Wands. Yeah. Uh, part, of my, part of my education, as much as my education as law school, our university was Essel Wands books. Uh, that that blew my mind. Uh, I, I had no idea the atrocities that were committed against the First Nation people. And then my uh, second book uh, that I'm going to do at this first part 
is American Negro Slave Revolts by Herbert Aptheker. Uh, in that book, he documents 200 documents too, uh, 250 slave revolts, and you know it undermines and debunks the notion that uh, we were uh, that we descended the slaves were uh, passive, uh, that they accepted uh, slavery, um, that they went along with it, uh, and when he talks about slave revolts. He's ta- his definition of slave revolts was uh, instances where uh, 10 or more slaves uh, were involved and had a like-mindedness about what they were doing. Um, he also, there's a chapter in there that also speaks about the many uh, different instances of individual uh, rebellion against slavery, and, and it goes through from strikes. A lot of people don't know that slaves had strikes. <laughs> slaves had strikes. No, I didn't. Uh, you know, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, they would go to the, 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 the they might go to the forest or the swamps, and, and, and until the, the uh, master um, uh, gave in to some demands that they had, they would stay there. Um, and so, yeah, they had strikes. They had, you know, uh, different things. Since they were feeding the masters, they, they would, you know, spit in their food, poison them. Uh, there, there is a lot of little uh, microaggressions against slavery that that uh, this book talks about. Oh no! So uh, that's, that's uh, well, I do remember something about that. It was well documented. The 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 subtle and not so what subtle way slaves would actually stop working by pretending to be sick or yeah, um, they're right. messing up crops. Right. You know that that so it wasn't. The whole concept of slavery and servitude, it wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't either you were passively a slave or you were Harry Tubman. There were pieces in between where you actually exercised some kind of dissent without bringing a lot of attention to yourself. So, no, I, I can dig that. That's a good one. But, well, and then to that point, you know, and, and, you know, maybe somebody needs to slip a copy of this to Kanye West when he says slavery was a choice because uh, he'll see. Um, but but the notion of stealing, um, you know, the, the, when the you know slave would get in trouble for stealing, uh, the slaves didn't use the word steal. They they used the word take. Like I took what my labor produced, so I took that shit back because I needed it, because I was hungry, because my baby was sick. Uh, so uh, you know, there's different perspectives on, you know, you hear the white perspective, so to speak, the dominant perspective is. You know, slaves were stealing, and 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 Rouse was like, "Nah, man, I I that's that's mine." So okay, so I'll turn it over to you uh, for a couple more, and then I'll dive in with a couple more. Well, I mean, I don't I don't have too many on that era. I wish I did. Those are some good ones you mentioned. Like I said, I definitely suggest reading it. But I think I'm well. I, my mainstays. You got to go with Defy next time by James Baldwin. I don't care what era. You got to read that. That's there are certain books that should be yeah. read once a year, and the fire yeah. next time is Biden analysis of just what's going on in America that affects the black man and woman. That has to be read at least once a year, as well as the the, the Frederick Douglass speech. And I'm actually just to, on a lighter note. I have a book that I think I mentioned that I started getting into is this collection of short stories by Langston Hughes. One of his first published collections in like 1933 is called The Ways of White Folk. And it is a it nice. is through very very short narratives. He talks just about the dynamics between the races and how people, 
you know, the two races related. Just to give, I just read a piece. I can't remember the, the last story I read. I can't remember the name of it, but it was about a, a brother named Roy Williams who was from the South, but he was, it opens with him performing with bands overseas. Jazz, he played the violin. He performed with jazz bands and concert bands and basically living the life of a man absent of um, prejudice. Comes home to see his mother because he's a little sick, and he comes home to see his mother. They have a big thing for him. He plays the violin. All the white people come out and black people come out, and there's a white woman who teaches music who has him come play in front of her students, all white students, and word gets out that he did that. And at the end of it, essentially, he gets lynched. <laughs> because she, he, he, so it was a, so it was a, it was a short story, but it went from him traveling Europe. They talk about all the places he's come from, and his bag had all the stickers from all the different countries. Going back to the south, he actually went to Missouri to see his mom, played the violin, entertained people. But because he was considered out of place for a black man to do that, he ended up getting lynched at the end of it. And and I was reading it, and I was like. It's just so many ways to approach analyzing history and putting things in a historical context. And I, I and reading some of the works of some of my great Harlem Renaissance readers, I was a big fan of Langston Hughes. I definitely suggest reading some of that. Zora Neale Hurston, Langston Hughes. This was called yeah. The Ways of White Folk, Election of Short Stories by Langston Hughes. I definitely, if you ever want some really good, quick reading, but that's biting, um, that's done in a creative narrative sense, I definitely suggest that book. Bruh, Langston Hughes, yeah, the. the I agree. Read him, period. Because when you say like biting, short burst, uh, you could, you know, it's poetry, and then even uh, uh, those uh, where he did his alter ego, simple, S E M P L E, uh, yeah, or just simple with just simple, right? Yeah, 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 just, just yeah. So he would just be simple, yeah. <laughs> well, that 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 describes the writing, man. You, you yeah, that, that's the shit. Um, so uh, yeah, good ones, man. Good ones. We'll 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 list these. Um, so let me. Uh, and, and they're not necessarily uh, also uh, from the slave period. Even though I would recommend, uh, I was going to make this point earlier. You know, we grew up, Chris and I, you know, listening to Malcolm X speeches, um, and you know, uh, Stokely Carmichael slash Kwame Ture speeches, King speeches. Dr. John Henry Clark speeches, but if you listen, if you read the writings of the guys from that were slave contemporaries, as Frederick Douglass and David Walker were, Henry Highland Garnett, that's a whole. These guys actually saw what was what was happening uh, at the time, and and so that's some powerful stuff that you read, and 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 it's not, it's a more raw. Analysis of the uh, relationship between white and, I guess, black people. I would say white, non-white, but definitely white and not and black people uh, in the United States. And as we have been talking about, that continuum uh, remains. Uh, I'm going to suggest uh, miseducation of the Negro uh, as a oh, yeah. book oh, yeah. uh, by Carter G. Woodson. Um, the uh, and, and one book that a lot of people don't know about because uh, I was going to say Francis Cress Wellesley's groundbreaking work on the psychological underpinnings of of, of racism, the ISIS papers, uh, essential reading. But another book that a lot of people don't know about uh, is a book called by Dr. Bobby Wright, 
um, and it's the title of the book, and it's really a, a bunch of essays, is uh, The Psychopathic Racial Personality. And uh, wow. and he talks about, in this book, I'll read directly from it, he talks about how uh, everywhere you see the relationship between whites and blacks, uh, when they're in close proximity to each other, um, the whites are in control, and uh, which is a problem because he says whites, are, they're psychopaths, and their behavior reflects an underlying biologically transmitted proclivity with roots deep in their evolutionary history. The psychopath is an individual who is constantly in conflict with other groups, persons, or groups. Look at all these wars. Uh, he is unable to experience guilt, is completely selfish and callous, tax bill, and <laughs> has a total disregard for the rights of others, separation of families, um, and so on and so forth. Uh, Psychopathic Racial Personality by Bobby Wright. It's out on Third World Press, which is Haki Madabuti's uh, publishing house. Uh, I would highly recommend that. Uh, there's a book I, I bought. I haven't completed, but I did hear the, the a lecture um, from the author, uh, Carol Anderson, and it is called White Rage, and it depicts um, how uh, since the um, – since the 13th Amendment, how every uh, instance where there's been black progress, there's been an overwhelming uh, negative white uh, response to it, uh, to undermine it. Uh, and they, they go from, you know, Jim Crow as a response to, uh, to Reconstruction, 13th Amendment, to uh, civil rights laws, then you had affirmative action, then to Ronald Reagan. Uh, and uh, and then a black president, the Tea Party, you know, and, and Donald Trump. So again, a continuum. It's called White Rage by Carol Anderson. And finally, um, one book that's important uh, is The Color of Wealth, um, which is, is the story behind the racial uh, wealth divide. And I can't. There's just too much information in there to get into. But it, when you read it, you'll become pissed off. Uh, about you know why <laughs> why we're basically poor in relation to white people you know and, and and we talk about how you know they benefited from you know and people don't realize that the 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 number of years it sounds small you know when you say three hundred four hundred five hundred years but that's a look that's like as our mutual friend Donald Temple said that's your grandmother's 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 living under that type of, you know, environment in life. And, and, and yeah. it's that, that generational uh, situation that, that creates this wealth divide uh, that we have here in America. So, uh, so the color of wealth, uh, we'll list these books. Uh, I know we ran through a lot of, um, but any final thoughts? We've got a couple minutes left. No, I think uh no this is a good show. It's um it's always important to reflect on on those two gentlemen, the brothers that the 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 work that they did at that time. And also particularly for Frederick Douglass, his whole body of work, not just the speech. He's well known for you yeah. know, probably the first black intellectual. He was probably if you think about it, our first real black intellectual activist. Um I did not read earlier that he was one of the, he was actually on the ticket as vice president. 
at some point didn't support Lincoln. There's a lot going. There's a lot of layers to Frederick Douglass, and I think that we do ourselves a disservice by not um, studying more about him. I agree, man. Yeah, I, I would. I would echo that. I would also recommend uh, if you would uh, Dr. Joy DeGry Leary's. Uh, you can go on YouTube. Uh, I'm going to finish watching it after I get off this uh, call um, on the post-traumatic slave disorder uh, and, you know, how the generational uh, trauma or how trauma has, you know, survived generations because of learned behavior from traumatized uh, individuals and, and how the, 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 the impact of the trauma has become normalized behavior. So uh, I'm going to check that out. Check out Black Agenda Report as well. Um, they they say they they say they have a podcast I listen to weekly at least, uh, and they they break down news that you don't hear about, um, particularly from prison. And there's a lot of us in prison, so we need to check that out. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Uh, we're also available on SoundCloud. We're trying to find other platforms to become available on. Uh, we'll post on our social media networks. Thank you, Chris. And until you. the next time, brother. All right. Take care.